Good to see everyone today. Welcome to Katusa First. We are a community of servants that love to serve the community. And I'm excited for all that we have going on this summer. Um, we are working our way through the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn there. Um, I'm excited about this morning sermon. I find it was like, uh, it was really helpful for me in understanding some current kind of cultural events that are going on. Um, I don't know if you've ever known this, but at Egypt, when they would throw a big party, there would be a pause in the middle of the party um, where they would pass around a tiny little casket. And then after everybody had held this little tiny wooden casket, uh, they would start the party again. Thank you, sir. So why would they do that? Well, it was because as they were having like the time of their lives, it was reminding them that life was short and eventually you return to the dust. So you better enjoy the moments that you have. That's kind of a weird thing to do at a party, isn't it? Like just pause everything and pass around a casket. Um, but that's kind of what we're doing today. <laughs> so in the book of Ecclesiastes can be a downer for a lot of people because it is looking at the world through the lens of what if either A, there is no God, or B, what if it just doesn't really matter that there is a God? Like, sure, there might be some supernatural being, but what if it doesn't really matter towards life at all? And as you begin to look through the world through that lens, it's not the best world. It's not the best world. So if you were to remove God from your life, what would change? What would change? And that's what Ecclesiastes is going to try to help us to answer. And in this instance, it's what if I gave you everything you've ever wanted? My kids watched Aladdin uh, the other day. and It was the first time that River had ever sat down and actually watched it. And I recorded his reactions because he was so into it. And all of a sudden, the blue genie appeared up, and he's like, there's a genie! Like, he's just going crazy. But imagine if you had a magic lamp and a genie that was going to grant your wishes, and you could have everything you've ever wanted, and all your dreams fulfilled, but I was just to take away two things. Like, you could still keep everything. I'm just going to take these two things away from you. In Ecclesiastes, the third chapter, they're going to take away two things. And just those two things, if you remove that, even if you have everything else, despair and nothingness is the result. So Ecclesiastes uses the word vanity a lot. And it's kind of a rough word to translate. He basically looks at the world and he says, without God, everything is vanity, vanity. Vanity is not really the word, okay? It's more of, it's a very hard word to translate. It has to do with mist, a smoke, Something that is there and visible, but if you were to reach out and grab it, it would just kind of dissipate around your hand, right? Like it just kind of goes away. And this is often what we find in the world. There are things that we think we want and we work really hard, and as soon as you get it, it's like it feels good for a little while, and then you're like, man, it didn't do what I thought it would do. You can get the nicer car, and you're all excited, but by week three, you've trashed it, right? You got McDonald's in the back, and there's French fries on the front, and all of a sudden, it's lost its 
newness, and it just doesn't do what you thought it would do, so you got to move on to the next thing. That's that vanity that it is talking about. So if you got your Bible, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I didn't even say where yet. You can't be that fast. Verse 16. I love this church, and I will be here for a million years. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteous, even there uh, was wickedness. Did I get those backwards? Yeah, so um, remember what we said under the sun means in the book of Ecclesiastes. Under the sun means if there is no God. Or almost like an agnostic, there may be a God, but he doesn't matter to my life. And let's be honest, most of the world that would say that they believe in a supernatural power, but they don't like to define it. People think it is self-righteous and egotistical to define the higher power. So I hear the phrase, well, I'm, re- I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. You ever heard that? I'm, I'm really spiritual, I'm just not religious. Well, A, that is religious, and Charles Manson was spiritual, right? Demons are spiritual, so you need to be a little bit more specific. Because people tend to think that that's a positive thing. I'm just really open to the universe. Well, the universe, the, the universe can't talk to you, right? Um, there, there is no karma, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. But people think it's rude to define the God that actually does exist. But it's not rude in the same way that you would like me to get your name right. Don't you want me to get your name right? Because you exist. You're a real thing. And if I was to say, uh, I was like, yes, uh, my wife, Adrian, uh, she lives in Kentucky, and she has blonde hair, my actual wife would get upset, right? Because I did not describe her at all, so I would claim to know her, but not know her at all. God wants us to know Him, And so this under the sun is a world of people who are religious or spiritual, but they're not religious. They don't know God. They think there might be some kind of higher power. And that's the perspective that he's looking at. And the first thing that he has everything he wants, but it got removed, is justice. Verse 16 again. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. So he looks at the world and he says there is no ultimate justice in this world. We learned that when we looked at the book of Job, didn't we? That the world does not perfectly reflect all the characteristics of God. God is loving, God is holy, and God is just. Is the world perfectly holy? No. Is it perfectly, is justice executed perfectly? No. Is it perfectly loving? No. But the standard for justice that we have is a reflection of God's standard of justice. The standard of love that we have is a reflection of God's character. And the standard of holiness that we should be aspiring to is a reflection. So we get like bits and pieces of it, but we don't have all of it. The world is not a just place. Does that frustrate you? Does that frustrate you? Imagine then... If you understand that the world is not just, but you've lost all hope of justice after this world. 
that this is it. And if you don't get justice now, then you will never get justice. I don't mean this to be insensitive, but it was a way that it helped me understand why people commit terrible atrocities. And we had one of those in Tulsa. And somebody had felt like they had been wronged. And the only way they could get justice was for their warped sense of justice was to try to take it into their own hand. And that level of desperation comes if you do not believe that there is justice after this world. Because if you feel like you have really been wronged, and then you can't fix it, even if in a, a situation where you actually might be in the right, you would spend your life bitter and angry. But if we trust that there is a God who is perfectly just, and he says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, then I can overlook an offense. Why is the world so offended at every little thing? Is because they have removed an eternal perspective from their life. And they don't think that there is justice after this world or accountability after this world. Because guess what? If you think there is accountability after this world and somebody who decides you either go to heaven or you go to hell, right? If you don't think there is accountability, then the world behaves differently. The world behaves differently. And so we're starting to see in our own culture this agnostic or atheistic perspective on life manifesting itself in terrible, ugly ways. Because in Ecclesiastes it says, if none of this stuff is true, then life is vanity. It's just desperation and desperate people do stupid things. Let's keep reading. He says, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. Now, when he's talking, he's not talking about Yahweh God. He is talking about, look, there's some being out there. There has to be some kind of justice. You know, every religion has some kind of system of justice. Uh, if you're Islamic, there's scales that are going to be weighed. Hopefully, your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. If your good deeds do, then you go to be with Allah. If not, you go to hell. Um, there's some Eastern religions, karma, Hinduism. The reason, kar like, karma doesn't work. And they know that. That's why there's reincarnation in those religions. Because they know you won't get ultimate justice, but if you just stretch out the timeline and over, like, 50 lives, eventually you might get justice. So they've had to stretch it out over life, over life, over life. That's why reincarnation is so important, is because their system of justice doesn't work. So imagine if you had everything in this world that you wanted. I just removed from your life the hope of final justice. There's a uh, few things uh, that will make you madder than to feel like you have been intentionally wronged by somebody you care about. That, like, that's really high on my anger list, right? Like I get really angry. The only thing that makes me angrier than that is when somebody I love calls me out on the things that I did, <laughs> right? Because right? we all want justice when we're wronged, and we all want grace when we wrong somebody else, don't we? This is how we know we are sinners in need of a Savior. Like every person I know, we share in that common pain and struggle. Let's keep reading. What's the other thing that is going to remove? 
verse 18, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beast for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust and to the dust return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after? When I was a kid, there was this book. Uh, my parents got me, and I, I mainly got it for the cover because it was a skull, like, and he had a pipe in his mouth, and it was scary stories to tell in the dark. And it's, it's been a classic for many, many years, but there was a collection of these old-time folk songs, and there was one called the Hearse Song. And I loved this song as a kid, and it used to weird my mother out because it goes, don't you ever laugh as the hearse goes by, for you may be the next to die, right? And it just goes on and on and on about worms playing pinochle on your snout, right? Um, some of you know this song. And I don't know if that was just me being weird as a kid, but I always liked that song. And one of the realities is that King Solomon is looking and he looks around at the cattle that he's going to have everywhere. And he says, they are going to be in the dirt just like me. He's like, in the long run, I'm no better than an animal if there is no God. One of the things that I learned when I began to hunt, uh, a good friend of mine, Gene Mills, took me on my very first successful deer hunting trip. And it was also the first time I got a really big buck. And I turned out that's also the last time. <laughs> so it's been, turns out it's much harder uh, than I thought. Uh, he was a really good teacher. But I got my first deer, and as you approach and you have to gut the deer, I hope this isn't too graphic for some of you, he reaches in and he puts some of the blood on my face, right? And he's like, this is a rite of passage. And then as I watch, as he opens the deer up and he's pointing out, Here's the kidney, here's the stomach, here's the ribs, here's the heart. And I begin to realize there are many things in common that I have with that deer. Like I have kind of similar organs and ribs and heart, and they're even kind of in the same place. And though on the external we're very different, on the inside we're kind of both just these beasts with beating hearts. And if there is no God, all we are is just advanced primates living according to our basic instincts, trying to create some little cultures to propagate our DNA. And when we die, we are no different than when the ox or the deer or the cow, whatever else, other animal dies. That's not a very comforting thing to think about. That I end up in the same place as an aardvark. Right? Like we just both end up in the ground. And I spend all my time toiling and working so hard. But in the end, if there is no God, then none of it matters. And he kind of gives an advice. And it's kind of like how to make the best of a bad situation advice. So he says, look, if it's all just from dust we were formed and dust we return... So I saw there was nothing better than a man should rejoice at his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? It's like, you don't even know. You could work really hard for an inheritance, 
to pass on to your kids, and as soon as you're gone, two weeks later, nuclear war, right? You have no idea what even comes after you. Most of us don't even know what came before us. We don't know the history of cultures and the rise and falls of kingdoms. Kingdoms tend not to last for a really long time. And so what do we do? It feels really hopeless, doesn't it? See, all he did is he took away a couple of things. He took away the hope of final justice, and he took away the hope of an afterlife. You remove, and mainly all you actually have to do is take away one, because if you get rid of the hope of an afterlife, you've gotten rid of any kind of hope of justice. What, what about, uh, there, there's a verse in Revelations where the martyrs, those who have been killed for their faith, the innocents who were slain for merely preaching and proclaiming who Jesus was, are waiting eagerly for vengeance to be carried out against those who killed them. But if there is no God, then there is no ultimate vengeance. There is no ultimate justice. Those who lie, cheat, and steal, and murder their whole life and get away with it, Right? There are people who are rich and happy and having the time of their life on their yacht right now, and they are the scumbags of earth. And there are really good people who are kind and patient, and they've got a really hard lot. Their life is in struggle every single day. And when you begin to look at that, you go, well, where is God? Where is the justice in the world? Because if there's not ultimate justice, then there is no justice at all. But Scripture tells us that there is ultimate justice. That those who confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that they're rescued from the flame, they're set free, they are no longer slaves to their sin, they've been bought with a price. And for those who spend their whole life abusing other people, hateful and mean, the liars, but it seems like their life just works out, what do we keep saying? For people like that, their best life on earth is as close as they get to heaven. That there will be justice. That there will not be anything that isn't brought into the light. Everything in the darkness will be brought into the light. I'm glad that I don't have that kind of perspective. I'm glad I don't have an atheistic or agnostic perspective. Because what I can do is I can look at 1 Corinthians 15. If you would, just turn there with me. 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 58. Got it. Get it? Got it? It says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in what? Vain. If there is no God, your labor is in vain. If there is a God, your work is not in vain. The energy that you put your hands into, the things that you spend time thinking about, with an eternal perspective. If I gave you everything you ever wanted, but I removed the hope of another life, it leads to what King Solomon had, 
He had everything his life could ever want. And it just led him to go, everything is vanity. Because everything I get is just going to die with me. There's no U-Haul behind the hearse. You can't take it with you. But you and I are not limited to an under-the-sun kind of world. We have an eternal perspective. And here's my challenge. We talked about this in Sunday school. We talk about this, uh, it feels like every Sunday. You and I have spiritual ADHD. We are focused on the things of God for about five minutes. And then we are all about the things of the world. What I want to encourage you to do is if you can view your life through the lens of an eternal perspective, you will live differently than if you live life through a temporary worldly perspective, an under-the-sun kind of perspective. Do not view your life as, I need to make the best of it now. Because now is all I've got. Live your life in such a way that says, I need to make the best of eternity. I need to make the best of eternity. If, uh, if we truly had and could live and focus and take ownership of an eternal perspective, how more often would you try to share Christ with those that you love? How, how much more often? And this isn't like the guilt trip, like you need to go home and call all your friends or you're a bad Christian, right? But what I want to do is I want you to, when you work, don't work with a temporary perspective. Work with an eternal perspective. Work as though there are people that are around you at your job that might not know Christ that need to. And so you don't get frustrated at the little things. You can bear a lot of frustrations if you know that it's temporary. But if you feel like they are ruining your life, and you think this is your life, this is the blip on the screen. We have all eternity together. That's how you can put up with me and I can put up with you, <laughs> right? Like, we're going to have to be together for eternity. I think we can handle a few grumpy imperfections in each other. I think we can show more grace and patience if we know that this world is not all that we have. Don't you ever laugh as the hearse goes by, right? For we may be. Some, raise your hand if you know that song. I'm just curious how many of you. All right, all right, yeah. Uh, just making sure I'm not the, the lone one on that one. I was like, oh, I was feeling a little weird up here. Um, we're done really early this morning. Praise the Lord. Somebody prayers were answered. Uh, you're good. Yeah. It's like, yes, rainy day. Uh, so here's what I want to just challenge you to. As, as we are still working through Ecclesiastes, there are just little things that he's going to be removing and going, you think you could be happy if I gave you every wish, but if I remove this one thing, your whole world collapses. And without the hope of an eternal perspective, without the hope of God, there's no hope at all. So I want you to begin to pray, God, can you help me to live with more of an eternal perspective? This begins by waking up in the morning and say, I'm going to spend some time in prayer and some time in God's word. Because what I do today is not just about today. What I do today is about eternity. How I live my life, how I visit and how I talk and how I encourage and lift up other people is to show them that there is a kingdom far beyond the kingdom that we currently find ourselves in. There is a king far greater than whoever sits in a White House. That there is a hope far greater than having enough money in the bank. Let me pray.